Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. I've got some good news for you. It's going to be a good day because I'm going to preach an entire book of the Bible and a chapter in another book of the Bible today. Okay? Are you excited? You're like, yeah, well. So. Jude is the entire book. <laughs> and everybody took a gasp of, thank God, because I was thinking it was numbers and I was out of here, man. Okay. And then Second uh, Peter chapter 3. Uh, but let's just take a moment so that God can change our minds if he wants to, right? Thank you, Lord. We just bless you. You are in this place. We make time for you, Holy Spirit. All that you are and all that you desire of us, we want to see that happen. So we bless you in in Jesus' name. I have a bit of sad news. I was, I was going to show you something, but I, I forgot to um, download it. But I'll just describe it to you. It won't be as good. You've probably all seen this on Facebook. There's this guy who's sitting down, and he's talking about what he likes to do after uh, he's been, um, the day he talks about his voiceovers and writing and stuff that he does. And I'm assuming he's in uh, show business of some kind behind the scenes. And he says, he's got this little chihuahua sitting right here next to him. He goes, and you know, I just love to come home and pet my chihuahua because, you know, it just, and as he starts petting his dog, the dog goes nuts and starts biting all over his hand. And he's got this like three minute dialogue on the importance of what petting your dog will do to your brain, releasing oxytocin. And he's going to, just biting him like crazy throughout the entire thing. And he's petting him and he's talking, and it's about three minutes. And this little chihuahua with buck teeth is like just gnawing at him. Now, he's not breaking his skin, but he's just like all over him. And at the end, he's just like, good dog, right? I wanted to show that to you, and I forgot about it, but I thought, what better way can you uh, see what a false teacher looks like? (laughs) Talking about the benefits of of his dog and all the things he can do all the while while the dog is trying to gnaw off his hand. And today we're going to talk about false teachers, and we're going to talk about false prophets, and we're not going to leave here uh, real negative and heavy. That, that's not the burden, but we, we have to understand um, if, what false prophets are and what false teachers are, and the best way to do that is to understand uh, what you believe. Because if you don't understand what you really believe— and if what you really believe is not really truth of, of what the Bible says, then you could be, you know, drawn away by someone who's speaking more of a language and culture than they are the Word of God. Remember, what the Bible always says is God helps those who help themselves. No, the Bible does not say that, ever. 
but most but a lot of people are are taken in by certain things that people are saying that God has said that God has never said and they're quoting scriptures that aren't in the Bible which means they're not scriptures right and so we can be taken kind of deceived a little bit by the power of someone's charismatic personality. Uh, they're so, you know, just of what, and I've, we've seen those people. I mean, how do you get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people to leave the United States of America and go to another nation to build a compound because you believe that your leader is a messiah? How does that happen? Many of you probably know who I'm, I'm talking about. It's roughly around the 70s that that happened. But Jim Jones was his name. And he was a powerful, charismatic preacher. The problem is, is he drifted off truth. And because no one was strong enough to, to deal with that or confront that, or, or when they did things would happen to them. But all of the sudden, he begins to grow, and, and every word that comes out of his mouth is kind of like a, uh, the, the voice of God himself to the point where he convinces people they need to leave the United States, which the reality, the reason they're leaving is because he pretty much is, understands what's going to happen if he doesn't. And so he goes to another nation, sets up a compound, and I remember there was a congressman and a delegation that went to visit what was going on down there, and as they were leaving, they were killed. And then he had convinced most of these people to drink Kool-Aid that was poisoned, and they died. And those that wouldn't drink were killed. Now, I'm talking about a spectrum that's way over here, right? Okay. But it didn't start way over there. It started way, way back here with not being able to identify or confront what is false teaching or what is false prophecy. Many of you will probably remember uh, Waco, Texas, a guy by the name of, of, of David Koresh, right? Um, or, uh, oh gosh. His name just left me. There's a, 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 another guy. He was a um, fundamentalist, Warren Jeffs. He was a fundamentalist leader of uh, the Latter-day Saints, which they were even like, well, this guy's nuts. So, um, but this is a guy who, again, had a compound and was, had several, several wives, and many of them were under 18. Uh, and so just, uh, but every word that came out of his mouth, he was the prophet, right? And so all these kinds of things would happen. So um, you're like, well, how did it get way over here? Well, it starts over here. Now, obviously, there's a difference between um, those who may have started out right and drifted. They were never right. Certain denominations or certain people who call themselves churches are, are not really churches by the biblical definition of what the Bible says. And some of those dominations, I'm not throwing stones, it's just the truth. You have to be able to say these things, whether you're, if you're a Jehovah's Witness uh, denomination, Latter-day Saints. These are, not, these are not biblical definitions of Christianity. They want to be called that. Well, not so much Jehovah's Witness, but Latter-day Saints would like to be called that, but, but they're not, okay? They're not at all. Because they don't, they don't 
adhere to the standards of, of, of what the Word of God says. And so because of that, a lot of times what happens is they do have the Bible. Uh, Jehovah's Witness will print their own type of Bible that has to be uh, by a certain publisher, right? And so uh, the Latter-day Saints have a Bible, but they will, they will twist Scripture to prove. And then they also have um, their own Book of Mormon that they say is a later uh, revelation, which, I'm sorry, it, it's not. The canon of Scripture is closed. The book of Revelation tells us not to add or take away anything that's written from the book of Revelation. And so if that coming after that, so that, no, you, you, that's not true. And so as a believer who's a true believer in Christianity, you have to understand that there are certain things that are true and there are certain things that are not true. And you have to be willing in love if there is a discussion or an opinion that's asked of you to be able to fend and to talk and teach of what the truth really says. And there are, like I said before, like I, like I said, you know, God helps those who helps themselves. There's a myriad of those types of statements that go around in Christianity where there's a large swath of people that just believe stuff without understanding and, and, and filtering through God's word. Important. Deception is deceiving, as my wife always says. Very profound. So, um, this is not new. This has been going on for long, long times, and there are other things that would call themselves churches or uh, denominations that are not denominations of, of truth. Now, this is, oh, I'm not saying this that we can say that we have everything and, and we are all this and you are that. I, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about setting us up on a platform. That's not what I'm talking about. As a matter of fact, I, I really want to be low and humble in my approach to the Word of God and when coming before His presence. When we're in worship and, and I sense that His presence is near, um, you very rarely, if ever, will you see me hammer on it because I want to be humble when it comes to the presence of Almighty God. I want to do what He tells me to do, but I, I want to enter that with humility, not thinking that I'm all that in a bag of chips. All right, so um, when we talk about in Second uh, Peter chapter 3, we're talking about um, false teachers and false prophets and stuff like that. But before you get to there, in Second uh, Peter chapter 2, uh, he says these things. And I, I, you need to go back and touch on that before you really get into 3 and then we get into Jude. So this is what he says in, in, um, in Second Peter at the end of chapter 2, starting in, what do I have there? 16. Okay. Um, Oh, excuse me. It's Second Peter chapter 1. We're doing Second Peter. All right, so in 16 of Second Peter chapter 1, it says, For we did not follow cunningly devised myths, right, um, when the fables were made known uh, to you, the power coming of the Lord Jesus, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the... This love... You came from the excellence of glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven, and we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed in the light that shines in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, uh, knowing that this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what he's saying there is he's referring back to Matthew um, 
when they were on, um, you know, the mountain, and uh, Jesus was transfigured, and there is Elijah and Moses that are next to him, and uh, the voice from heaven comes, this is my beloved son, right? They also have Jesus coming out of, of the water as well. Uh, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased in Matthew chapter 3. Then you also have the voice on the mountaintop of the mountain transfiguration. What Peter is saying, because he was there, is saying, listen, we have heard this. This is not a myth. This is not a fable because there were myths and there were fables that were going around at that time, just like there are myths and there are fables that are going around today. And so what Peter is saying is like, listen, we have to deal with something here because what I'm bringing you is the truth because I heard the voice of God declare something over his son, Jesus. Now, that's, that's pretty big. Uh, probably nobody in here has actually heard the voice of God audibly. Some of you say, well, my wife's voice sounds kind of like it. But for the most part, we've never heard the voice of God like maybe Peter has. Now, you have sensed it, his, his voice in here. You, you've heard his voice in here, but I, somebody may come up and say, well, I heard it. Well, okay. But most of us have not in, in that way. But Peter and a few others have heard the voice of God declaring certain things over Jesus. And what Peter is saying here is like, listen, man, we have this prophetic word of what was spoken over Jesus, that he is the Son he is highly favored. We've seen, you know, uh, the heavens, he's seen the heavens opened up. He saw Moses and Elijah. He saw the transfiguration. So they've seen, Paul himself, right, caught up into the third heaven. He says, he's, Paul says, I know a man, right, which he's really talking about himself that was caught up into the, to the third heaven. And he said, I saw things and I heard things that I can't even talk about now. I really wish I, he would have, but he didn't. So even Paul, falling off, a, falling off a, a camel or whatever, seeing Jesus, and then caught up to the third heaven and hearing different things and stuff like that. So they have this revelation from these apostles, these disciples that are apostles, that they have this confirmation. And Peter's wanting to get this through to, uh, to others, the people he's writing to, and the churches that he started to make sure you understand. Now listen, we have the prophetic word. It came from the voice of God. We have seen this. Uh, John, in 1 John, is saying, listen, man, we, we felt it, we touched it, we scrutinized it. Even in 1 John, at the very beginning, he's pouring out and saying, all these things, we, we touched it, we saw it. Because, and they're writing these things down because they're dealing with people who are coming into the church and are trying to bring uh, destructive heresies that are contrary to the eyewitness testimony of the apostles. And this is our eyewitness testimony today. And so as they're talking about these things, and, 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 Peter, and Peter wants to really make sure you get this, I was there, I saw it, and this is what the truth is. Because there are a lot of things that are going around in, in the world and churches today. I was looking at some research of, oh goodness, it was, it was, it was concerning, talking about that uh, probably 40% of people in the evangelical church today would reject the idea of Jesus being the Son of God. On the other hand, get this for confusion, about 80% of people living in 
the evangelical doctrines would believe in the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. What does that tell you? That people are confused. And people are confused because um, shepherds are not necessarily preaching truth, but they're preaching a casual, cultural type of message that will keep people happy, but dumb. Because in the world of the enemy, ignorance is bliss. And so they may preach you something to make you feel good, but it has nothing that has any transformational value to you as a believer. It just keeps you happy all the way to the slaughterhouse. And the reason I use that is because I take cows in. We raise some cows and we take them in to get butchered. We get them as babies. And we know as soon as we get them that they have a purpose. They were born to die, to feed others. And so last uh, Friday, I brought old Becky in. We name them. I ain't afraid. You, you, can, you can name that cow cutie pie. It's still going to the slaughterhouse because I'm going to eat some meat when it's all done. Roast beef. So I bring old Becky, and she's about as wide as she is tall, so that's a good sign. Back it up, open up, open up the thing. And I, I may have told you this before, but these guys at the slaughterhouse were kind of in awe of us because they deal with rowdy cows all day. My cows aren't rowdy, really. So I go up there, and they're like, come on, cow, get out of there. I'm like, hold on, guys. And I went, come on, girl. And I walked away, and the cow follows me, just like a dog. And I even told the guy, if you raise it like a dog, it'll follow you like a dog. So I pull that, and the cow just walks him out. And one of the guys said, I ain't never seen anything like that in my life. <laughs> like, I know. But she follows me in, and she goes right into the cage. And in, in like in the minutes of a half hour or 20 minutes, we're getting what her hanging weight is. See, that's what a false prophet does. I promise you all sorts of things. Give you the best words available. Listen, if the only words that you have gotten from a prophet is about how blessed your future is going to be, you got problems. Because prophecy is not just about your future blessing. Prophecy is dealing about your present condition right now. And when you read the Old Testament, and you read about Jeremiah, and you read about what, you know, what he was going through in Ezekiel, and, and Jeremiah was the only prophet that was prophesying truth, while all these other prophets were talking about how blessed Israel is, how great Israel is, how victorious we're going to be, and all these kinds of things. And they were all dreamers, and they were all prophesying wrong things, but everybody was following them because only Jeremiah was preaching about conviction of your sin. Because you've walked away from the holiness of who he is. And you've brought all these other things into your religious expression that have nothing to do with the Father who has called you out of bondage. 
But preachers today, because that doesn't fill seats, I don't want to feel convicted. I want to feel happy. You'll find that in a church somewhere. Hopefully you won't find it here. I want you to be happy, but I want your happiness to come from the joy that comes from knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That can make you happy. That can make you joyous. I don't want you to be happy because you're not challenged. There's a difference. Okay. So Peter's going to get on, uh, on the ball here. I want you to hear some of the words. As he said, as he's talking about the trustworthy prophetic word, he's then going to say, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth has been blasphemed. Now listen to this. Let's go to Jude. In starting in, in, in verse 3, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting for you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for condemnation by ungodly men who turned the grace of, of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Let's look over here at 2 Peter. For God did not spare, or excuse me, but covetousness, uh, they will exploit you with deceptive words. A long, time, a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. So what is... What is, because Peter will also say something about the Lord not being slack concerning his promises, right? Well, listen, it's kind of the same kind of premise here that just because they may not have been facing judgment yet, it, it means he's saying their judgment is not asleep. Judgment is coming to those who are false prophets and false teachers. So just because, and I'm not excited about that. I would much rather have people repent. But what he's talking about here, these are people that have given themselves over to something that is untrue. And what they're doing is they're trying to drag a whole bunch of people with them. And he says, for God did not spare those who sinned, but he cast them into their own hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness uh, to be reserved for judgment. That darkness is a mist and a blackness. And he did not spare the ancient world, but he saved Noah. Now, over here in Jude, Jude starts with uh, something like this. Um, and, and, and Jude and 2 Peter chapter 2 are, are they're, they're, just, they're brothers in what they say. So in Jude, he says here um, that the Lord, having saved people out of the land of Egypt, but afterward destroys those who do not believe. But look, he says, and angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved for change, uh, everlasting change under darkness for judgment of the great day. All right, and, and Second Peter is going to say the exact same thing. As, as a matter of fact, as you, as you go on through the, here, he says, and Sodom and Gomorrah and cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual morality and gone after strange flesh, which are set forth as an example of suffering and vengeance of eternal life. Now, this is pretty heavy stuff. This is, 
you know, you're not going to walk out of here and saying, wow, I feel so uplifted. You will, but the first part of this is not going to feel so uplifting because you're reading about what's going to happen to those who are lying to sheep about what the truth is. And I don't want to be a liar. So just as Jeremiah is telling the truth, but he's not, gaining, he's not winning friends and influencing people, <laughs> but he's, he's doing what God has asked him to do, you have Ezekiel, who, who is who's doing kind of the same thing. And, and Ezekiel prophesies uh, from the word of the Lord about shepherds. I think it's in the 33, where the shepherds have, he's like, why have you not fed the flock? Why have you not healed? Why have you not do all these? But you're feeding yourself and you're becoming fat. And then, and then he says, and now therefore I, the Lord, am going to come down and shepherd my people. Who is Jesus called? He's called the great shepherd. Jesus is a fulfillment of what Ezekiel prophesies that the Lord has had enough of pastors and shepherds who don't take care of his sheep. So now he's going to come down and do it himself, which is in the form of Jesus, the great shepherd. This is what you get when Jesus is standing over Jerusalem and says, Oh, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. But you wouldn't listen. You wouldn't listen. I I don't want to hear, oh, church, how I was speaking to you and drawing you close to me. But you wouldn't listen. That's not the good side of, of this. We want to hear things like, well done, good and faithful servant. That if, if you're coming to church, the end goal is to hear that. <laughs> Right? Not to be in mist or blackness or all that kind of stuff, but well done, good and faithful servant. And, and God, through his spirit, will confirm good things to you. You're on the right path. You're doing well. But God will also th- say things to you like he does to me about my attitude. I mean, I'm driving in the car here today, and he doesn't even give me a break on Sunday. I thought you were supposed to rest, right? (laughs) But he's still speaking things to me in in the car on the way over here. Because contrary to popular belief, even though I'm your pastor, I'm not perfect. I know. That may be hard for some of you to believe. Or it may not. But... I'm not being chastised by God. I mean, he's not like, you are so horrible. He's speaking things into my heart so that I will get these things, so that I will add to myself Christ-likeness. And I don't want to ignore that. I want to receive that. And then, I, and then I'm asking them, this is hard. I'm talking to him. This is hard. How, how do I do this? Because it doesn't feel natural to me in the way I want to go. So, Father, how do I take these things that you're saying to me? How do I become more Christ-like? If you're asking those questions honestly, that's a good telltale sign that you're also on the right track. Don't ignore stop signs. They're there for a reason. Don't, don't make light of yield signs. They're there for a reason. Road signs are there for a reason. They're not just pretty ornaments. 
speed limit signs. They actually mean what they say. There are things in the physical world that you live by because if you don't, you'll get a ticket for. There are signposts in the spiritual realm as well that God is using to confirm to your spirit. And the question is, is are you listening to those things? He is a good God. He is full of love. And we know that because he has sent us these letters for us to live by that teaches about his love and teaches about his holiness. And it says here that, listen, God did not spare the angels who sinned. Now listen, there is a whole can of worms about this statement. For God did not spare the angels who sinned. This isn't, a lot of this is in reference to Genesis chapter 6, where we read before the, the flood of Noah that, they were, that the that sons of God, right, saw the daughters of men, and they took them as wives. Now, there are at least four or five different views of this, okay? The first view that I will tell you about has been the view that the early fathers believed. And that is exactly what it says. The sons of God being some type of spiritual and angelic being who left their, their domain in heaven, cohabitated with earthly women. And the offspring of that, Nephilim, those different kinds of things, are, are part of the thing of what God judged as well as the wickedness of mankind. Other translations will, not translations, other, other beliefs will say that um, the sons of God were a succession of evil kings. Now, when you go through this and, and, and you look about what this saying and, and kind of looking at kind of the old uh, or Hebrew and stuff like that, I, I personally, I go with the first view. It doesn't make sense to me. But I believe that's what the Bible teaches when it comes to that, that there were angels that for whatever reason left their domain, did what they shouldn't have done, and corrupted mankind. Now, you say, that seems, that seems kind of hard to believe. I, I understand that, but if we, go by, if, if, if we go by what is easy to believe, then you're going to miss a, a huge percentage of the Bible. It's not easy to believe that a man would stick a, a, a staff in a Red Sea and have it part. It's not, it's not necessarily easy to believe that somebody who has leprosy, that is basically the AIDS of their day, of, of the AIDS in the 80s, and leprosy of back then, is kind of the, the, the same type of death sentence, that all of a sudden Jesus would say, hey, be clean. White as snow. Well, that doesn't seem reasonable. Right. It seems supernatural. So these angels had, had left their proper abode, did some things they should not have done. And listen, you don't, it's not necessarily false for you to think, I think maybe it was a succession of kings. We're not talking false doctrine here. We're talking maybe a couple of differing opinions of how what God did, he did. 
Okay? I believe this way. You may believe, oh, maybe it was kinks. You have the right to be wrong and not be called a false prophet. But I believe it's this way. I, I think the scripture supports it, even though I may not totally understand how. And he doesn't necessarily spend a whole lot of time developing that theory. Now, there are extra biblical accounts, um, which Jude will quote First Enoch in, in Jude's letter. Now, Enoch is a written book, but the book of Enoch was, was, was an oral tradition that gets passed down from way, way, way back when, because he's the seventh from Adam. And there's a story of his that gets an oral tradition all the way down until finally, later on down the road, they write this thing down. Now, do people believe, um, well, let me put it this way. You can find a little bit of the theology of Enoch in 2 Peter and in Jude. Which tells me that even though Enoch is not something that's put in the canon, which is the Bible, it, it can be, a, can be a, a, an extracurricular book that may help you understand more Genesis chapter 6. I'm not saying it should be canonized. There are a couple churches in Africa that have done that. Two. One's in Atreya. Uh, I can't remember the other one. But anyway, they did canonize the book of Enoch. But the, for whatever reason, the rest of, of the, the councils that got together, Enoch didn't make it in. Doesn't mean that it was necessarily evil. Just meant it, it didn't get here. Now, what do we do with that? What do you do with your books that, your other books that you read that aren't canonized, but you read them and they help you out? The Bait of Satan. All, thousands of books that we have throughout libraries. You can go into my office and find a uh, hundred books in there. You can come to my house and find a hundred more. All written by authors about, about the Bible. They're not canonized. I don't hold them to the same level as the Bible, but sometimes they help me understand certain things or they spur me to go forward. But I don't give them the same level as or authority in my life that the Bible does. And there are books that I read that are like, where did you get that garbage? How did this book even get published? There are those as well too. So I look at kind of, of Enoch in, in some of that way. I, I don't canonize it. I don't raise it to the level of Scripture but it kind of helps explain certain things when it comes to Genesis chapter 6 and what we see here in Peter and what we see in Jude as well also. Now, it says, The angels who did not keep their proper domain left their own abode. He is reserved for everlasting change under darkness for judgment of that great day. So there are angels, angelic beings, that were judged immediately in the sense of they were thrown into some type of pit. And there was a mist and there was a blackness over them. And they're not getting out until they go to the other final judgment. Which means they're not running around the earth. We were talking about that a little bit in Sunday school. About the spiritual places. I, I, my mind and heart is being opened up by the Lord. Just cracking. I've, I've always understand that there's a spiritual realm. But you've got to understand, I think, how massive this really is. The spiritual realm is. 
And I think, and sometimes because of what happened during the Enlightenment, and I talked about this on Wednesday night, where the Enlightenment that came along in the 1700s, which all of a sudden, it took all the supernatural out of the world and said everything had to be about reason and logic and all these different kinds of things. And the church, because she didn't stand strong, backpedaled and said, okay, well, we'll give you the supernatural, but we're keeping our buildings. Great. From that, I believe, personally, comes a type of theology that weaves itself in to the Western church, a lot of it, that denies certain parts of the Bible dealing with supernatural and giftings because in their minds it's subjective, but in reality it's testified to. And because of that, you get a theology in Western Hemisphere that is, you come to church, you pay your tithes, you be a good person, and I'll preach your funeral. And we talk about kingdom ideas, we talk about this kind of stuff, but it's never gone after because there's a level of supernatural, which is really the natural of the Father and the favor of the Father on us to go out and do the kingdom. Never in the Bible does it ever say that these things ever stop. What, what happened was is these people, because they didn't see it or didn't want to see it, taught that it didn't exist anymore. And when you start teaching that something doesn't exist anymore, that the Bible says still does, you've got problems. You've got problems. And, you can, and, and it's not good enough to say, well, I think they exist. <laughs> Jolly gee shucks. I think they believe, but I'm not going to get involved with it because that's messy. You're no, you're no better than those who deny it. The church is supernatural, people. It was always intended to be. And there's a spiritual realm out there that the Bible talks about, right? There's, there's this, this physical reality that we live in. There's a spiritual realm, the second heaven. And there's a third of heaven, the abode of where God lives. And in that second spiritual heaven, remember when the, the devil got kicked out, he became known as what? The prince of the power of the air. Right? So there is a spiritual realm, even amongst us right now, that the Bible talks, there are, there are angels. Some of you brought your demons with you. I wish you'd leave them at home. But they're, they're around, and, and we have to understand how to discern what is going on. Because it's the job of the church to declare in the spiritual realm you're not getting me. It is the job of the church to declare the kingdom and the purposes of God into that second heaven. See, power got taken from there and got restored here as it was intended to in, in Genesis. I'm going to create you, Adam, and then I'm going to put you in a garden. You're going to tend it. Which meant that the will of God and the purposes of God that were in heaven were intended to be released in the garden that Adam was given dominion over. When Jesus says it is finished, it's, just enough, it's, it's not just about what he did. It was also a declaration to the spiritual realm that their job was done too. Their authority was taken away from them and given to those who would recognize it in the church and run with it. But the church still has a problem today of being like Adam and handing over its authority to somebody else. 
I, you do it. <laughs> right? I don't want to do. I, I don't want to do that. I just don't want to do it. All right. So, the deception, false prophets, and false teachers are going to keep you in that place. You're going to feel like you're safe because there's a whole lot of people around there, but you're not going to have a mind of your own. All right. So then he goes on to say these things. He's like, um, that I think are, are really important. So he says that Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities around them in similar manner to these, have given themselves over to sexual morality and gone after strange flesh, set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Crying out loud, can't you people get it right? Okay, so Sodom and Gomorrah are being judged by God. He's had it. Their offense has come to heaven, and once that happens, something's going to be done about it, right? So uh, there's, uh, there's sexual morality there, but it, it, you got to realize that when God is coming down on Sodom and Gomorrah, it's not about one issue. Uh, in, in, throughout, you know, Christendom, we've always looked at, at Sodom and Gomorrah and said it was one issue, homosexuality. It, it's, it's not one issue at all. It's all the issues rolled up into one, which basically their heart is, is defied against the Lord. And then everything about their heart, soul, mind, and, and everything about them has been in defiance to God. They're going to do what they want to do, and they're not going to be governed by anybody. And God says, well, we're not going to have that. So Abraham, you know, go get Lot, drag him out, because I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy this. I mean, you know these stories. These are supernatural stories. And all of a sudden, there, there's angels there, right? These messengers of God. And these people are so corrupt, they're like, hey, let's sleep with those guys. To the point where Lot, he's not going to win father of the year here, okay? Recognizing the evil of what they're talking about, says, hey, take my daughters. <laughs> Don't do anything to these guys. I think you could have come up with a better answer, Lot. Spur of the moment, you know. But recognizing the evilness of what these people were talking about. See, there is a, there's a type of mad, madness when, when someone's heart has given over to constant. And we are seeing that today released upon the earth on, on certain groups. This instant insanity and hatred when you, when you disagree and you believe something from a biblical point of view that's being released upon the church and, and a harassment that's coming against it because there's a supernatural demonic thing behind it. This is the wickedness of the Bible that the Bible talks about that in certain times, certain cities or certain things were, were kind of judged in the moment. But this is the stuff that's released that at the end is going to be judged forever. And so we're living in a time when we're starting to see that kind of craziness come out and stuff like that. But, and so we have to be careful because it's going to be very easy for us to try and, and blend in and try and stay under the radar but as a believer you're not called to stay under the radar. You're not called to fight people. You're not called to really get into arguments that are going to be knocked down, drag out. You're just called the truth. Because your battle is not against people. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. Your battle, the Bible says, 
in Ephesians is against principalities, powers, is in the second realm. And there are people that are affected by the second realm demonically because they've given their life over to it. Just like you should be giving your life over to God, they've given their life over into something else. That's why it's so important that us as believers, it's not to compromise. Because compromise starts taking us down the wrong direction. It's not like the first time you compromise, you're done because God is so full of grace. But it's like we don't, we don't want that to be the pattern of our life. I don't want to compromise on what the Bible says because it'll help me have more friends. Can you imagine Jeremiah? I mean, really, what, what that guy went through? Nobody liked him. Oh, all the other prophets would get together and would not let him play prophetic games. Just like Rudolph. They didn't like him. They didn't want him. Because the guy who spoke truth, part of them was convicted by it, but they didn't want to repent of it, so they wanted to try and destroy him. But he never stopped preaching truth. Jeremiah is a, a, a great example of someone who's going all the way. He's not just sold out, but he's going to witness some of the horrors. And I don't think he has an I told you so mindset. Because those who are, are truly God's prophetic people are going to grieve. All right. Sodom and Gomorrah, we're going we're gonna to end this here pretty quick. He says, uh, likewise, these dreamers defile flesh, reject authority, speak evil of dignitaries. Um, dreamers is kind of like these people who come up with um, all these different types of prophetic things that are, that are going on that may not be of God. There's a type of that. You have to be discerning. Not everything that comes out of uh, a prophet's mouth, he may not be a prophet. Sometimes people just say things to prick your flesh. You've got to discern it. You've got to discern it. And you've got to be okay to discern it and be okay to reject it. You, shouldn't, you should test the spirits, right, to see if they're of God. But some people just want to be in Lululand. Um, so even Michael, now this is here, listen, we have to be careful uh, when it comes to even deliverance and certain things like this. Because if Michael, the archangel, doesn't talk smack to the devil, what makes you think you can? They're fighting over the bones of Moses. And, and, and Lucifer is saying what he is saying. And, and, and the Bible tells us here that um, yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil... When he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation. What he did not say was, what are you doing here, loudmouth? You jerk. I'm the archangel of heaven. You ain't nothing. Beat it. Don't make me pull my sword. You don't see that kind of talk coming out of archangels. You want to know Why? the good ones. You want to know why? Because they understand and realize that judgment only belongs in the hands of the Father. So the only thing that Michael says is, hey, the Lord rebuke you, which is kind of, I think, a reminder statement. You know what's coming. He doesn't say it like that, but the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. 
The enemy may be saying all these different kinds of stuff, but I can't get caught up in trying to puff myself up to thinking I'm better than him, even though that stuff has been restored to me. Uh, authority has been restored to me through Christ. I can't get caught up in the idea of I'm going to tell the devil off, I'm going to tell him what to do, because not even archangels do that. I'm just going to rebuke him. Anything else is me trying to convince myself I have something. Trying to work myself up into authority. I don't have to work myself up to authority. Let's rebuke it. Uh, but these other people speak evil. He, he gives this whole laundry list of, of, of things of, of what they do. But then he comes down here in verse 12 of Jude, and he says, But they are spots in your love feasts. They feast with you without fields, serving only themselves. Basically, they're clouds without water, carried about by the wind, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars from whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And then he goes, Now Enoch prophesied of those. See, there's this whole laundry list of who they are and how they live. And everything about that is leading to the point where there's going to be judgment. Second Peter is, is going to say a lot of exactly the same thing. They speak great swelling words of emptiness. They allure through lust of the flesh. They have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whom the person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. Serious stuff. But I got to tell you, there are false prophets and false teachers in the body today. The, the overall body of Christ. I'm not necessarily talking about this body. I'm talking about the overall body of Christ. In America, there are false prophets. They are living in churches. They are those who sell their gifts for money. Who, prostitutes, who prostitute themselves for pride, wanting to be known, seeking platform and influence, promising things, but never seeing delivery of it. And some of us have bought it, have swayed by certain things that people said. Listen, when Paul was fighting with people, he said, we did not give an inch against false doctrine, against false teaching, and neither should you in your life. Don't give way to it, and don't compromise to it to get along with people. We're not going out and picking fights. We're not going out to shove it down their throat. That's not what I'm, no, 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 no. We first have to deal with the areas of our heart that believe wrong things about who God is. God is not evil, and God is not angry. God is good. God is wonderful. And he's enough. I don't have to add things to it. He's enough for me. He's enough for you. And he has called you to something. He has called you to his truth. He has things for you to do, yes. But sometimes suffering is a part of that. 
And if you're listening to a type of theology that tells you if you're suffering, then there's something wrong with your faith, you need to flush that because that's from the pit of hell. It's from the pit of hell. If you're believing something about a type of prosperity, I've got to be careful, but I've got to be true. There is prosperity in the Bible, but it's not the prosperity that you hear some people saying on certain channels on television, religious channels on television. God, God doesn't sell his blessings. They're not for sale. As a matter of fact, Jesus got pretty upset, made a whip, and cleared out an entire temple because they were selling sacrifices that weren't pure. They weren't living by the intention of what, and so he cleared it out. Let me tell you something, some of us, we've got to clear our, our own mind and hearts out of, of some wrong things that have been implanted there. So God is not a slot machine. He is not Harry Potter. He does not have a, a magic wand that will just touch you. He is not a fairy godmother. He is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. He is not insecure about anything in his life. He has never been worried. He has never been fearful. He's always been good. And he can't be trusted. So here's what you take home from this. It's a good idea for you to go over some of the prophetic words that are given you, to you in your life in the past and ask yourself some serious questions. Father, was this true? Bring it to him. Father, was this true? Especially if you're not seeing anything play itself out. I'm not saying that it is, isn't true, and I'm not saying that God can't in an instant make something happen that he truly said or that he truly promised he can. The question is, goes back to some of these prophetic words. Was it actually his promise, or was it something that was spoken by someone who was false? And it tickled my flesh, and I liked it, and I want it. But maybe that's not what he has. It's Okay. Let him lead you through these things. And if he says to you, that, that wasn't from me, thank you, Father. Forgive me for entertaining it. And let's put it where it belongs. What do you have to say about me? And go forward from there. And be careful what you listen to. Be careful. Trust. There, there's people you can trust out there, but there, there's people that you gotta, you gotta let go of that are always in that wrong thought and that wrong idea of doctrine, okay? Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife@aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.